Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Monday, October 21st. We've got a pretty uh, mundane week eight to recap. You know, not a whole lot happened. Pretty boring games. Uh, not like there was the longest game in uh, ACC history or anything to talk about. Not like there was a six overtime thriller in Lane Stadium to talk about. But oh wait, there was. So we're going to talk about <laughs> all that a little bit later. But first off, Tim, what's going on? You know, not a lot. This is one of those weekends where we hardly did anything, and I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, hung out with some family, though. We had family in town. The nephew's birthday uh, was yesterday, so we got to go to a little party. Um, and it was bow time when I got there, so there was a bunch of fried chicken, which is um, really good. Yeah, you, you got to appreciate uh, that. Yeah, maybe a bowberry biscuit or two. Uh, there, there, were, there was a little late in the day for that, but I wouldn't no. have turned my nose up if one it's, showed up. It's not ever too late in the day for a bowberry biscuit yeah it's got me thinking though you know what's great about kids is they love stuff and i think i think we as adults we kind of are desensitized to a lot of cool things in this world my nephew loves trains man yeah i mean you remember back in the day how cool trains were he he got a cement mixer and you would have thought he got the greatest present on the face of the earth you know right. how many cement mixers I drive by on a daily basis and I don't notice how rad these things are? I'm going to start working on noticing these little things around me that these kids find amazing and hopefully, you know, have one of those moments where you stop and smell the flowers kind of thing because I'm not going to lie. Front end loaders, pretty cool. Yeah, I know all about trucks. Uh, don't don't get me wrong. It's kind of, uh, you know, what I do on my day job. Trucks and school buses, actually. So. Oh, good for you. Um, I can, uh, yeah, I can send you a scale model or two and make that kid's year, but, uh, Dude, yeah, don't, you know, don't just talk about it, do it brother. Yeah, I can, I can make that happen, but I'll tell you, um, went to the pumpkin patch like a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. I don't know. I lose track of time. Sure. And my daughter's really big into Sesame street. And so she sees a cutout of cookie monster. Oh. Like it's a wood cutout. And it's painted like Cookie Monster, and she goes up to it and hugs it. <laughs> just like I love it, man. You know, I love it. It's just that's uh, that's something you're only going to get from from a kid. The you know the thing that kind of bothered me though about the Sesame Street exhibit is Kermit and Miss Piggy from the Muppets were in the crew. Yeah, that's not acceptable. Like that's not. Sesame Street. That's not why, acceptable. Why do people think that Sesame Street? I don't. There's there's definitely like a group of people that think the Muppets and Sesame Street Street are the same thing. Yeah, they think that Jim Henson and and the Sesame Street gang all kind of whirled up into the same uh, ecosystem. There, it doesn't exist like that. You know, you get a kid, you really start to realize how delineated these things are. And I don't know what happened to the Muppets. I haven't even ran into a situation where those uh, furry friends have been on the TV. It's all Sesame Street around here. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the thing with kids is they don't really care about football, and I wish I had that problem sometimes. I mean, this is how dedicated I am, Tim. So I live in Chicago. I think that's been well-established, and the game wasn't on here because it's on regional sports networks. It's not going to be carried in Chicago. So I'm streaming it on Watch ESPN. Pretty easy, right? Sure. Well, the entire feed for the game, like if I tried to feed it to my television or use the app on my television— it was this fragmented picture, like it just couldn't catch up. Mm. And if I if I was going to watch it for longer than three minutes, I was probably going to have a seizure. So I had to spend the entire game watching it on an iPad. And by the end of the game, or what I thought was close to the end of the game, I was plugged in to a outlet because I was down to like 5% battery, standing over a counter, hunched over, watching the end of the Virginia Tech game on an iPad, making sure I didn't look at Twitter or my phone uh, so it didn't spoil what was coming. So. Yeah, well, I was watching on my iPhone. As I said, I was at my nephew's birthday party during this game. Um, and so I was watching on my you know four-inch screen on my iPhone uh, that was in a pretty poor service area, so it looked really pixelated most of the time. You could barely yeah. make out the players. Yeah, um, great. And, and when I wasn't doing that, I was listening to the Carolina uh, Tar Heels radio broadcast. So on that field goal in overtime, uh, the first field goal that they missed that would have won them the game and believe the third overtime, 
um, you know, I had my finger on the power button for the radio in the car because as soon as that kick was going through, I was going to turn off that broadcast so I wouldn't uh, profusely vomit all over my car hearing them celebrate that win. But luckily, um, you know, the kick was no good and I got to hear it all on the radio. Uh, you know, it was beautiful. Um, everybody knows kind of how that game has ended, even though we'll get into it obviously in a second. But um, yeah, I went home immediately watch the highlights on the watch ESPN app. I went down to the ACC conference logo, clicked on it. They had the replay already live, you know, 15 minutes after. Um, and I went back and watched the whole overtime. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get into it, you know, thanks for joining us. We are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button, leave a review, let us know how we're doing you know, maybe leave us five stars, you know, just uh, just because you're new and you want to be friendly. That would be great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're we're your stop for uh, Hokies football primarily, but we talk about the ACC as well. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into it, Tim. So let's North Carolina, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech was a three and a half, four point underdog at home, depending on, you know, what uh, what booking agent you were going through there. But you know, I have so many thoughts on on this game, and you know, longest game in ACC history, the first game in NCAA history to ever go into the kind of overtime shootout rules, which is once you get to the fifth overtime, you know, the team's doing two point conversions. And I'll be honest, like I thought at that moment the game was over. I was like, you know, we've 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 made it this far. You know, it was it was great. This is going to be a, a real challenge for us. But, you know, there was a guy by the name of Khalil Ladler that refused to let anybody pass the uh, the line of scrimmage That's in the right. fifth and sixth overtime. So, you know, it was uh, it was unreal. I I don't really know how else to to describe it. And, um, you know, this team. If if you, we flash back to a few weeks ago when they were playing against Duke, I don't even recognize this football team anymore. And I'm not talking about from a wins losses standpoint. I'm just talking about from a, you know, I'm going to use a cliche term here from a grit standpoint. This team is, I mean, they're they're grit personified. I yeah. mean, the fight that this team has, the guts that they have, and that goes for the coaching staff too. And I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, but. The resiliency that they showed was absolutely incredible. And, you know, they lose Hendon Hooker late in the first half. They lose Caleb Farley, which was kind of a under-the-radar loss. You know, he didn't, you know, need assistance getting off the field. I guess he took a, a knee to the helmet on a touchdown play and uh, he couldn't come back in. He had a concussion. But Farley, man... Talk about a guy who is night and day compared to last year. That guy is locked down. Yeah. He is playing absolutely phenomenal. He had a career high four pass deflections before he left injured. So just in the first half alone. So, you know, the thing that really kind of stood out to me for a couple of reasons was one, you know, Hooker goes out. Weren't really sure, you know, what was going to happen. We see kind of a really ugly looking replay, but it's in like super slow motion. And you're not really sure kind of what that's telling you just yeah. because yeah, you see, you guys see, are moving you see so a little hyperextension there, you yeah, know, but that's what it felt like. That's it. Yeah. And hopefully. so ho hopefully that's all it is. Um, but then Ryan Willis comes in fresh off the bench and makes an incredible throw to Damon Hazleton. Oh, yeah. Great catch, corner of the end zone, just stands back. There's a nice little fade route, incredible catch as well. That ended up being an absolutely monster play in the game because it was third and long at that point, but third and goal. And if uh, if Willis doesn't make that throw, they're settling for three. You know, who knows what happens from that point on, but, you know, most likely the, the game ends a little bit differently. Not saying that the Hokies lose, but not saying that it goes six overtimes either. Sure. But after that, is when it got interesting because Willis really started to struggle and he came out in the second half and, you know, we, we saw a play on, on third down where they were in field goal range and Willis rolled out and just made a bonehead decision to hold onto the ball too long, you know, throws it, gets intentional grounding and, you know, they had to punt 
And so they cut to Fuente, and Fuente is giving it to him on the sidelines, and he's right. he's frustrated. And it was really kind of the first time that we saw that happen to Willis on the sideline. Not to say that coaches weren't frustrated at him because of turnovers or mistakes before, but that was it. Yeah, he and didn't come and back I need to into stop you right there, just because I do want to point out this is a, a place where I've been hypercritical in the past of Justin Fuente. Um, this was a turning point in the season when he identified what was happening with Ryan Willis was the same stale, ineffective uh, offense that he was leading the first three games of the season, and he yanked him. And he deserves all the credit in the world for finally doing that. Yeah, and he yanked him for Quincy Patterson. And to be honest, you know, I was uh, I was pretty shocked when that happened. And more shocked when Quincy stayed in there for another series and then another series. And he wasn't coming out and just running it up the middle and just, you know, coming in and out of the game. To me, the leash was gone. Fuente had seen enough. He felt like at this point... You know, Quincy gave them the best chance to win, and it was a completely different game plan, obviously. I mean, I think the first six plays was just Quincy just running it up the gut. And, you know, you can you can criticize the coaches for being, you know, ultra-conservative in the play calling, but for the most part, it was working. Yeah, and I'm not so sure you can, in all fairness, criticize the coaches. Um, and I think you brought this up on Twitter. That was the third-string quarterback. Third Typically... String. In not practice, any reps. yeah, you're not getting any reps at all as a third string quarterback. And if you are, it's very, very limited. What it looked like to me is that the team was working on in using what they could with Quincy, given the uh, limited seasoning they had with him up until that point. And I think what's being overshadowed with a lot of that criticism um, is the fact that Cornelson, and I have given Cornelson heck on this podcast, as anybody knows that will listen was calling some pretty highly effective quarterback runs that were extremely varied. Um, make no mistake, UNC knew what was coming, and they were still having a hard time stopping QP. Um, and a lot of that credit goes to Cornelson and his ability to be creative with the scheming on the offensive runs in the quarterback, given that it was the third stringer, but also to QP. Uh, the guy has dynamite legs, man. Dynamite legs. I mean, the dude's just, you know, he's a boulder. Like, he's just a, a mountain of, of muscle. Yeah, a, a man among boys out there, for for lack of a better term. And I mean, you you hate the Tebow comparison for literally every quarterback, but I mean, it, it's literally like Tim Tebow back there. From a from a rushing standpoint, yeah, sure, that's what I mean. You know, exactly like him from a rushing standpoint. The passing we don't really know yet. Um, you know, although he he flashed, uh, but that running, you talk about body type, running style, um, and the offense that we run is similar to what uh, Florida did with Tebow. So. Um, you know, yeah. it was cool to see QP have some success. And I didn't I didn't really get so frustrated with the conservative play calling until overtime, uh, specifically when, you know, Brian Johnson had already missed the kick and North Carolina had missed the kick. And, yeah, you know, they got ultra conservative there and didn't, you know, try to throw a single pass until, you know, third down and just went up yeah. the middle, up the middle, and then you're settling for another 40-plus yard field goal. Yeah. You know, Brian Johnson has proven that, 40 yards and in or under 40 yards he doesn't miss yeah but he yeah. he hasn't made one over 40 yards this year so sure and i think we had it close to, to under right field. before that false start so sure that's that's tough i like the idea if you're uncomfortable with passing given your third string quarterbacks in the game in that situation to try and just power it up the middle Maybe you'll get a first down, maybe not. But if you're settling for a you know a, a field goal on a third and three, which is what it should have been, if you know we were able to run another third down from second and five, um, you imagine we would have gotten a little closer after that. Yeah, uh, you know that would have worked, and I think the the chances of the field goal going through uh, would have been high at that point. Um, but you know that's not to say it's without frustration. I'm not trying to laud Cornelson with compliments. I'm just saying a lot of fans and a lot of backlash I saw on Twitter because there wasn't much was directed at that conservative play calling. I think there is some merit to it, but I think we need to look at it through the lens of, okay, <laughs> we weren't going to go out there and air it out with a guy that probably doesn't have a lot as far as uh, readiness goes and preparedness for that situation. And Correct. what we got out of him was masterfully done. 
I mean, and we were able to utilize him in a manner that won us the football game with your third string quarterback. That says a lot about that third string quarterback. It also says a lot about the coaches being able to work on short notice there. Yeah, and you know, it was it was no secret North Carolina knew what was coming because oh, yeah. they were they were stacking the box with eight nine guys every time. The safeties mm-hmm. were basically playing you know linebacker, and there was you know eight guys on the uh, defensive line at one point. I counted, so it didn't matter. No. You know, even if uh, even if he got hit for you know behind the line, he was still pushing forward for a yard, two, maybe even three. And to do that consistently, like he was just he was just the boulder running downhill the entire game. Like the amount yeah. of size he has, and when he finally broke one open for that fifty three yard gainer or that touchdown. Oh yeah, he's fast. Know, he's he's got speed, man. Yeah, he's, he can he can tear it up. And you know the the quarterback position now you got Hendon Hooker, who's more of a uh, a guy who can make you miss. He's a he's a little bit more. I, I don't want to say more athletic, but. I think he is probably more athletic at this he, point. He's shiftier for sure. With the with the body type, it's yeah. a different body type, a different a different style of play. He's definitely going to be the uh, you know the shake and bake, and and Quincy's going to be the uh, the uh, grounded pound up the middle. So interesting tandem there. You know, when when given the chance to throw, I mean, he's got a cannon, absolute mm-hmm. cannon of an arm. He's got a he's got a rocket. And, you know, the pass he made in overtime to Damon Hazel's oh over gosh. the shoulder. I mean, that it was, was a, a fairly dime. It's a fairly simplistic route, but he put it right on the money. Yeah, I mean, I that, mean, that can't be stated enough. That throw was high quality. That was impressive. Um, so you're a spiral guy. Uh, yeah, I thought spirals. of you when I saw Brady that. Boy. That was a glorious spiral. And let me it tell was. you, he put that in a window where only a Hokie would have ended up with that catch. And, and, you know, Hazleton made a great adjustment. Hazleton making beautiful catches uh, against the Tar Heels, really looking like a red zone threat again, which we love to see. Um, But just Hazleton and Patterson on that play, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, and, you know, it was – so just going back to the decision to go to Quincy, you know, I think we said – when we were more of a, you know, the season's over type of podcast after the Duke game. <laughs> that wasn't that, long ago. That, you know, we're, we're tired of seeing Ryan Willis. And I fully expected Ryan Willis to be the quarterback after Hooker went down. But he's just not progressing. He's doing the same things over and over. So to go to Quincy and to, to make that, you know, decision, it's it's good. Because now we know that, Quincy's got a little bit of a of a gamer in him. Like he looks yeah. like he's going to be a very good quarterback going forward. And you know he finished with 21 carries for 122 yards. You know I think if you know we end up seeing him against Notre Dame, and you know if Hendon Hooker is ready to go, I think Hendon Hooker is going to be the guy. No I doubt. I think he gives you no a doubt. little bit more right now, uh, especially from a passing standpoint. Um, but we'll see what happens. We don't know what the what the status is of the injury. We might not know for a while because we're going into a bye week here. So Fuente's a guy who does not like to talk about injuries and or give you much in the sense of, you know, how long guys are going to be out and things like that. So I expect this to be kept pretty close to the vest. I'm not going to worry about listening to rumors. You know, I'm kind of tired of watching everybody try to play you know, reporter and say that I have two, three sources that told me, you know, this guy's going to be out and this guy's going to be out. It's like, I don't really care. Well, so there's, there's that guy, but then there is also the guy who looks at a Twitter video and is now an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, you know, well, I saw three eighths degrees of lateral movement around the meniscus of the knee. That's a grade three ACL (laughs) sprain. Get out of here. Right. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, the fact that he was questionable to return and was still on the sidelines and walking around even though he had yeah. a very bad lip, he I did. would take that as a good sign. Sure. Just the fact that he was questionable. Sure. So that tells me that the training staff thought that there was a chance he could come back in. It wasn't too serious, but you know, obviously, you know, he couldn't go and you could obviously see that with him standing on the sideline. Yeah, and it was unfortunate because the team was looking good with him. I mean, he um, was 8 for 12 for yeah. 157. Moving the ball. But the thing I think that, that blows me away is that his passing looks so good compared to what I thought I would see from Hennon Hooker. So good. Um, 
you know, that, that and, connection and, to Trey Turner is something that I hope flourishes. Both of those guys are from Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, you know, let, let's hope they can get in sync because you got that vertical threat in Trey and you got a guy in Hendon who so far has thrown a pretty, pretty good looking deep ball. Um, and long may it continue. So, you know, I hope that bond between Trey and Hendon, it certainly seems great looking in from the outside, but let ho- let's hope it continues to flourish. It's a shame that he went down um, because I was already preparing in my head uh, when Ryan Willis was looking like the same old Ryan Willis to say, you know, if Hendon, if we had lost that game, um, I was already to say on this podcast that, you know, had Hendon not gotten injured, we would have won that game. And I think we would have won it handily. It certainly um, felt that way. Yeah. Because he, he was he was running the offense really well. You know, they were down at running back. Keyshawn King was dressed. I believe he was active, uh, but he did not play. Yeah. And uh, you know, we saw Dalton Keene in the backfield and you know, he played pretty well outside of one fumble. But the versatility of, of Dalton Keene, man, I tell you. Can't what, be like, overstated. He man. he laid a block down on a Deshaun McLeese run where he just bulldozed sure. the defensive end. And I mean he just looked like an extension of the offensive line out there. Yeah. And for a guy of his of his stature to be able to do that and to be able to play tight end, be able to catch the ball out of the backfield, to be able to run out of the backfield, I mean, you know, that's that's what you want out of any guy. He he is the modern day Sam Rogers, essentially. And imagine that that guy is doing what he's doing. All that versatility. But the thing that amazed me is he was actually fairly quick through the hole. Um, yeah. He, no, he looked good. He had he, some explosiveness. He, he looked like he could play a backup running back role if he had to in a pinch. It well, reminded me of J- what NC State did with Jalen Samuels. Uh, if you remember, uh, you know, two to three years ago when, when they were in their prime using him, they would line him up out wide. They'd line him up at tight end. They'd line him up in the backfield as a traditional halfback. Um, and he excelled in all those roles. I was not expecting to see Dalton Keene look good. I thought that was kind of a last minute, just, hey, stick him in there. He'll be safe with the ball, even though, coincidentally, he fumbled. Um, but he had some he had some speed getting through that hole. And I just want to shout out, too, uh, Deshaun McLeese, again, we're seeing a bit of a revival in Deshaun McLeese. He looks like a different halfback. He does. He does. He had a really solid day on the ground. He had a uh, a nice catch through the air as well that went for about twenty yards. And mm-hmm. you know he's uh, he seemed to have found a new groove, and I'm sure it helps with you know an offense and a quarterback that's able to move the ball. And you know I think you know what we're seeing out of Hooker and uh, Patterson is when Patterson Patterson looks like he was born to run the read option. Yeah. And I mean, he runs it to an elite level. Makes good reads. And uh, that, I mean, that keeps the defense honest. That may as well be a play action. And I mean, you're seeing it pay off in the backfield with Deshaun McLeese, who's a shifty guy. He's not the biggest guy in the, in the room. He's not going to, you know, break a ton of tackles, but you know, he is good at making you miss. And now that defenses don't know who's going to get the ball and need to focus on other areas of the offense, you know they're they're caught a little bit more off guard when he's got it. So I think we're seeing him really grow. He's already got more rushing yards than he did last season. Uh, I think he has the same amount of touchdowns as he did all the last season. So That's he's right. he's coming on. And you know defensively, Tim, you know I thought we played pretty well for the most part. And you know that's odd saying you know Sam Howell had five touchdown passes, but there was also six overtimes. Not that either team lit it up in overtime, but yeah, your best cornerback went down best cornerback went down you know you were playing with uh, a backup safety in the first half who ended up starting the second half as well who I thought played pretty well in Devin Hunter he made a he made a couple of plays and you know people seemed to be just really jumping on his case in the uh, in the Twitter verse for every little mistake he made but I mean if you if you've had forgotten Reggie Floyd had been making a number (laughs) of mistakes throughout the entire season so yes you know I thought overall Devin Hunter played a pretty solid game, finished with eight tackles. You know, mm-hmm. the team in total had five sacks, nine tackles for loss. UNC had three sacks and seven tackles for loss. Jared Hewitt probably had his best game as a host. Oh, no doubt. I mean, two and a half sacks, three tackles for loss, especially towards the latter part of the game and in overtime. That guy was in the backfield mm-hmm. consistently. Just sure. Every single time they could get back there. The pressure that this this team really stepped up defensively in the second yeah, half. Yeah, and, and not only the guys you mentioned, too, but we have to shout out Norrell Pollard there. Oh, um, Norrell had a wow. great game, um, and great he's game. looking like one of those twitchy defensive tackles that Foster has loved in his time here. 
Um, you know, he, he's starting to remind me a little bit of Ricky Walker um, in that he's a little undersized, but the, the, the guy is just hard to block. So the, the one play that caught the defense off guard in the second half was the, you know, little, I, I'm not going to call it a trick play necessarily. It was just more of kind of a, a hidden flea flicker, I, yeah. as I like to call it. The double reverse flea flicker. Double reverse, yeah. And so, you know, the safeties, I don't know where they were at, but that was on them. Right. Um, there was nobody in the back of the field, and the guy just ran into the end zone. could have walked in there. Other than that play, you know, the defense was pretty much shut down for much of the second half or much of overtime. You know, they were getting pressure on the quarterback. Sam Howell's a big guy. He's tough to bring down. They were making him feel it, though. We mm-hmm. didn't see cardiac Sam in this game. No. And we didn't see a bad Sam Howell. I mean, we saw a pretty no. solid Sam Howell, but we didn't see a guy who, you know, was just playing out of his mind in the fourth quarter like he has often done. And, you know, the defense wasn't perfect, but overall I was very happy with the performance. Uh, you know, it felt like watching the game that every third down UNC came came against they got at least yeah. in a critical moment yeah uh so they need to be better in third down sets you know if you look at the stats i think unc was nine for 21 which you know it's 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 pretty solid uh it's bad for the defense but it's not it's not the way it felt uh and then total yards tim you know it was 491 to 490 you know mm-hmm. unc etched them by a yard vt at 254 yards rushing on 60 carries um, and had four less penalties, although they had two turnovers compared to zero. So I really felt like the most disciplined team was going, or most, most disciplined team, <laughs> the most disciplined team was going to win the game. Yeah. I didn't think either team was very undisciplined. I thought, you know, the Hokies had a couple of sloppy turnovers there in the first half. They were able to survive it, um, and they came out on top. And, you know, the fight that this team showed in overtime, you know, it, it felt a lot like the 2011. Miami game and I felt like I was watching maybe a a different version of Logan Thomas with Quincy Patterson that's at least the way it felt to me and maybe it was the long touchdown run that he broke off similar to what Thomas did against Miami in that game but you know I was uh I mean I couldn't be happier that they came out on top that they got the win I thought it was a a great statement for the coaches I thought it was probably one of their best coach games that I've seen um you know you can complain about the play calling but I think that's maybe a little bit short-sighted um and it was a full team effort I mean that was a team win if I've ever seen one we had three quarterbacks play we had three quarterbacks throw touchdowns you know they came in and they made plays when they were called upon and like I said like there was some booing of Ryan Willis in the game yeah don't like that I don't think anybody likes to see that no I mean and how soon do you forget, like, literally without Ryan Willis throwing that touchdown, and I don't know how you can't say it wasn't a great throw, because it was. I'm not sure Virginia Tech wins the game. Yeah. So for for all of our guys to be ready to come into the game, for Khalil Lather to, to be ready and have his name called upon to come in, as we're down short-staffed in the secondary, Shamari Connors playing out of position, we've got Ladler stepping up, playing the whip linebacker spot. You know, you've got freshmen stepping up like Narelle Pollard, who's just wreaking havoc in the backfield. Love it. I mean, it was it was a fantastic performance in front of, you know, a, a ton of recruits that were that were in the house. Uh, for the most part of Pack Stadium, uh, there was some footage of uh, students leaving the north end zone at halftime, which uh, blows my mind. So, yeah. you know, have fun lying about how you stayed for the game and regretting that you left for the rest of your life because you will. Because uh, that was that was one of those games that you just don't see. Uh, oh yeah, I very mean, often. If to, to tie it back to something that I think we were a part of, it, it certainly had to feel like that Nebraska game felt for us. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine not being in the stands for that Nebraska game. And that was a brutal game to watch. Oh my for gosh, it was tough. Fifty-eight minutes for yeah. fifty-eight minutes. Look, kids, if you're listening, don't leave. Um, you know, not only does the team need you, but for yourself, do the selfish thing and stay. You're going to want to be there. Those are the memories that you're going to cherish, uh, or at least partly cherish. Um, you know, stay in that football stadium. It's a special place. 
you know, I thought the thing to me that I thought was really cool. I'll, I'll tell, talk to you about a couple of things I liked, a couple of things I didn't like. Um, you know, I really liked Lane Stadium last night. Felt like they were they rewound the clock somehow. So my hats off to all the Hokies that were in the stands. You guys laid it out on the line. Um, that was loud, and and you could hear it on the radio broadcast for the you know the UNC guys. You could hardly hear them sometimes over the crowd. And and let me tell you, um, that felt really really good to see because the only way we get Lane back to becoming the Terror Dome in the fortress that it once was, is if we have the fans giving it up again. And we have that. So I'd love to see that. Two, you touched about the touched on the uh, the team and the grit and the toughness. I'm going to steal a quote uh, from Jurgen Klopp, my favorite soccer manager. Um, he's a manager of, of the Liverpool uh, the football club in England. Um, and he's, he's called his team on many occasions mentality monsters because of how they respond um, to any sort of stress, oppression, oppression. These guys, the Virginia Tech team, has turned into mentality monsters overnight. And I'm not sure how that has happened, given where they were at Duke. But the, the plays, the timely plays that you saw from Ladler back-to-back, Quincy coming in and not even being rattled, um, the guy looked like a robot back there, and I mean that in the, the kindest way possible. This is a team full of guys that can handle the moment, and the moment's not too big for them. And that is a huge rally from where they were. So I like where this staff has brought this team because I, don't, I, I, wouldn't, I, I could never even fathom that we would be here right now after what I saw in Lane Stadium uh, when Duke came into town. So I love those two things. A couple of things I don't like. Don't boo Ryan Willis. Um, remember, he didn't choose to start all those games himself. He was put in that position, and I feel like he was put in a position to fail by the coaching staff. I'm really frustrated and it makes me question the staff's ability to understand talent and to understand their offensive scheme. When we had Quincy Patterson and Hennon Hooker starting the season on the bench behind Ryan Willis, because I think we have two quarterbacks on that roster better than Ryan Willis. Are you are you surprised though with how we've seen both Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson come in? Well, because I, what, I am. what I what I mean is when they both made their first appearances. We saw ultra conservative play calling, barely any any passes whatsoever, and to me, that means that the coaching staff was, for whatever reason, much more uncomfortable with putting those two guys out there than than Ryan Willis, a guy who had been a turnover machine essentially in the first few weeks of the season. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but watching how they called games when those guys came in, that to me was why Ryan Willis was was in the game because for. God only knows why they felt like he was the guy who would give them the best shot to win through the air. And sure, you know, it's just, it's something I noticed and you know, it's, you can't really make sense of it, uh, especially with how, yeah. what we've seen on, on the field so far. But, and, and that, that's why I was surprised. And that's why it worries me because you take that offense. Let's just say you had two Hokie, you had a, a, a two Hokie offenses, one Hokie offense. You had Quincy Patterson, and he doesn't throw a pass. The other offense, you have Ryan Willis, and he doesn't run the ball. Even give him the ability to run. You could beat that Hokies team with Ryan Willis without Quincy Patterson throwing a pass with our offensive scheme and the way that it's built. So for me, I have I have a hard time understanding when you see those two run the two quarterbacks who can run the ball, and you see the opening up of the running game for the halfbacks. How those two were not identified as better fits for our offense and given the looks, I'll never, never understand. But what I really don't understand is how it took so long to get to Hendon Hooker in the first place. Um, that worries me from the staff standpoint. If people want to criticize a staff for being overly conservative, I'm not going to listen to it. Not unless they come out next game and, and Quincy starts again and it's the same conservative game plan. Then you can have take issue with that. I'm not going to take issue with that when your third-string quarterbacks come cold off the bench after a week of probably not practicing and certainly not running with the ones um, and expect them to come out there and look like Joe Montana uh, ripping shots left and right down the field. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to criticize for them for that. What I will criticize them for is the shocking nature of the way that they had the depth chart lined up in the beginning of the season because make no mistake, that hurt us. With what I've seen, 
with Hennon Hooker at quarterback, you've got one loss in the ACC, maybe none. Well, yeah, and and that's the thing because you can't convince me that you know Hendon wasn't ready in week one, but no, you know after the Duke game he was ready. No, you it know? no, that's there's, what I mean. It just doesn't there's happen just no like way that. that that happened. Um, and you know it is what it is. You know I'm. Yeah, we we won't dwell on to, it, but but I wanted to and, and look ahead. But you know what I will say is, from what we're seeing now is. I think what we saw with Quincy Patterson is oh, okay. The the coaches can adapt a game plan, yeah, game because yeah. they did. They certainly did. Um, but that's just something that they they never just seem to do to fit Ryan Willis's skill set. And I just I I think that's my my biggest yeah. misunderstanding Th- with what's going on because we saw it yesterday. Like we were still seeing the same offense around what wasn't working for Ryan Willis. And I'm not sure if it's all on Ryan Willis. I think it's maybe just the the plays that are coming in. Because, you know, I, I just don't want to see Ryan Willis running your read option. No. You know, ever. Ever. Because I, I've, saw, I've seen it enough throughout the season, and it doesn't work. Uh, but we, we saw it a couple of times yesterday before he got pulled. So, you yeah. know, is what it is. You know, we'll see what happens after this game. Um, you know, big emotional game. They're heading into a bye week. You know, probably a good time for a buy uh they're pretty banked up at the moment so uh what i will be interested to see is like let's assume hendon hooker is ready to go against uh against notre dame you know will we see quincy patterson on the field in certain sets that i'm a little bit unsure of i think we might depending on the health of the uh the running yeah. back situation we might see uh and the health know, of the quarterback too yeah I mean. exactly so we might see uh, we might see two quarterbacks out there in the shotgun, which would really throw <laughs> uh, a defense off. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. The Notre Dame game is going to be a tough one. It's going to be a physical game. Uh, defensively, Notre Dame has been better over the last few weeks, so um, that'll be something to look for. But you know, for right now, Virginia Tech huge win. Um, you know, can't can't say it enough. Uh, feel really good for the uh, for the coaching staff for the players. You know, I I did not think that they would go undefeated in October after what we saw, or was it undefeated in October? Was yeah, because the Duke game was the last game of September. Yeah, that's so, right. So undefeated in October, uh, that is a huge accomplishment considering where they were at um, at home against Duke. You know, the fact that they finally won a big game at home um, against the Power Five opponent, against the team that you know they were an underdog to. You know, against the Coastal Division opponent, you know, it was big. And uh, they live to see another day. You know, there's still plenty of business to take care of. Pitt looks like they're pretty good. Um, You know, UVA got a huge win over Duke. That actually helped Virginia Tech out that Duke got the loss. But, uh, you know, one thing I want to point out is, you know, after that Duke game, Virginia Tech was uh, considered to be one of the fifth worst teams in the FBS. And now they're getting votes in the coaches' poll. So, uh, quite a turnaround. Uh, that just shows you that polls mean absolutely nothing. It's all about what you can do on the field. Um, and it was a big win. And, and, you know, for UNC. In fairness, in fairness, I would have put us as one of the worst Power 5 teams after that Duke game as well. So no hard feelings yeah, on that may, poll. Maybe, I get it. Maybe one of the worst. Uh, I don't think I'd uh, put them in the bottom five. Yeah, it would have been close for me. That was a, a poor showing. But, you know, as you said. Now maybe the, Miami. We're we're in a re- no question. We're we're rejuvenated at this point. It felt like a bit of a rebirth for Hokie football this season, um, and a rebirth for Justin Fuente. Um, I didn't recognize the passion coming out of that man this weekend, but I like to see it. So there's a lot to work on. This team is not, you know, make no mistake. They're nowhere near a coastal favorite. It's still going to be a tough road to hoe in a lot of spots this season because of depth issues. In some injuries, but hey, the buys come at a great time, and and maybe we can circle the wagons and get something figured out to keep improving on defense. Because I will say, even though the stats have not borne it out completely yet, I think there is massive improvement being made on an individual level on that defense, and I really hope it's able to continue because we we might be able to pull out an all right season yet. Yeah, there's no doubt. So. You know, big performance from Sam Howell as well. Like I mentioned before, 348 and five touchdowns. That was a freshman record at North Carolina. He's the real deal. Also tied the uh, UNC record for most touchdowns in a game. 
You know, Michael Carter had a nice day, 13 carries for 91 yards. Daz Newsom, whose brother yeah. Dion obviously played for, for the Hokies, uh, had a big game. Nine catches for 112, two scores. Uh, was definitely getting into it with Shamari Connor and uh, mostly Shamari Connor. D- Divine Diablo got in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chas Surratt, 17 tackles for a quarterback to jump to linebacker like he's done. Uh, pretty impressive. So that guy was all over the field. UNC shouldn't feel uh, bad about the performance once you no. get into that many overtimes. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's just it is what it is, right? So it uh, feels good to, to come out on top. A win's a win. A loss is a loss. And uh, that puts Virginia Tech in pretty good, pretty good shape to control their own destiny because they do. If Virginia Tech wins out, they win the Coastal. So that is, well, they, they need Duke to lose. I think Duke probably will lose again. Uh, but they're pretty much as close as you can get to controlling your own destiny. So up next, the Tar Heels play Duke at home, and Virginia Tech's got that bye that we talked about, uh, and then head over to uh, South Bend to take on the Fighting Irish. So that'll be a big game. Uh, Tim, unless you don't have anything else, we'll jump over to the rest of the ACC. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll quick fire those bad, bo- bad boys. We took a little longer on the Virginia Tech, obviously. Uh, given the uh, gravity of that game and, and how important it was. So, um, yeah, we'll be a it, little quick on the next few games, but, you know, that's certainly yeah. not trying to downplay the others. Just uh, the, what a night for the Hokies. The last thing I'll say, too, is, you know, it was just – it was a program tide turner yes. for sure. That's what, that's what Saturday night felt like Yeah, was the coaches are here to stay, and if you're still on the Fire Fuente bandwagon, go ahead and hop off because that ain't going to happen. No. Get behind the program, support the team, stop worrying about Fire Fuente. You know, the guy has done a, a very good coaching job over the last couple of weeks. Agreed. Um, and if you argue against that, I'm just not sure that you're being reasonable with yourself and or watching the games. So yeah. um, felt like it was a tide turner. Big, uh, big for recruits. If you look at some of the... Uh, the tweets from the recruits that were there, they were pretty excited, pretty jacked up, you know, best game I've ever been to, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's always uh, that's always great to see with the guys that you bring in for, for those types of visits. And again, sound guy, well done with the inner sandman at the end of the game. You inner are sandman a, uh, and, uh, scholar stick, and a saint. Stick it in. Stick yeah, it in, man. Stick it a, in. A How could we forget that? Yeah. Hearing that uh, in the red zone is a complete nostalgia play, and I love it. Never, yeah. never let old curmudgeon alumni take that away from us again. Uh, so let's jump into conference play. So Pitt, Syracuse, Pitt wins 27-20. Uh, game was, uh, I felt like, not as close as the score indicates. Nine sacks for Pitt. Uh, the Panthers had entered the game ranked second in the nation in sacks. They're averaging 4.5 per game. They now lead the nation with 36 total. Uh, they had won uh, their pre. They had won five out of seven against Syracuse coming into this game, and uh, the big thing with Pitt is they were up twenty four six at half, kind of took their foot off the pedal. We saw that happen against Duke, so I think that's maybe something to watch out for going forward. Is why is that continuing to happen? Right. Um, but AJ Davis, he got his first career one hundred yard game. You know, if you look over to the other side of the field, Tim, you know. Syracuse is a team just in shambles right now. They're three and four. Uh, the offensive line play has been atrocious. The run game has been non-existent. They had 34 carries for 52 yards. Yeah. And uh, Tommy DeVito just didn't look good. And then he got injured. He did not return. They have now allowed 35 sacks on the season. That is the most in the bowl subdivision. So uh, Clayton Welch, who was actually a JUCO transfer quarterback, he did provide a bit of a spark. He hit Tosh Harris for a 94-yard touchdown early in the second half, uh, but it was a little bit uh, too little too late for Syracuse. They are reeling at the moment, still don't have a conference win, 0-3 in conference. Pitt, on the other hand, uh, looked like a uh, pretty tough out in the ACC Coastal, so uh, watching them as the season goes on and uh, that Mark Whipple offense with Kenny, Picky, Kenny Pickett leading it, uh, it's going to be something yeah. to watch. So a lot of big games coming up. Still a lot of football to be played, but right now Pitt's looking pretty good. Yeah, A.J. Davis looking good, uh, getting some playmaking out of the backfield. Kenny Pickett again makes us look like uh, idiots on our preseason take with him 
Uh, he continues to look really stupid. <laughs> yeah, he's continuing to look pretty good. Um, Pitt, they're they're a tough out. Um, you know, it's a common theme in the coastal division lately. It feels like, but Syracuse, as you said, just a complete dumpster fire at the moment. And I, I hate to be so so nasty about that, but there's there's really no other word for it. Uh, they're not getting anything that we expected them to get on offense. Um, and you know, it, the injury happened right at quarterback. Devito went down, um, and, and although Clayton Welch did provide a spark, um, he still went eight for twenty passing. And in a Dino Babers offense, that can't happen. Um, you know, you take out that ninety-yard pass, and, and you're looking at a very pedestrian stat line for him. So the Orange have got to figure something out. I think you can go ahead and write off this season for them, though. They are just not a good football team. No, no, they're not. Um, let's move on to Clemson at Louisville. Tigers rolling this one 45-10, although struggled early. Trevor Lawrence threw two more interceptions, two pretty bad interceptions. Yeah, they were and, bad. Uh, he's just he's not looking himself so far this season. Uh, Travis Etienne had a nice game, 14 carries for 192 yards. Yards per carry-wise, uh, that's a lot. Uh, did have a touchdown. <laughs> uh, you know, Lawrence did settle in. He finished uh, the game with 233 and three touchdowns, started playing like, you know, the quarterback that we expected to see throughout the entire season. Uh, Louisville hung in there for a little bit, but really just struggled to get going offensively. Uh, you know, Mikhail Cunningham ended up starting the game, um, but, you know, Evan Conley did come in. Neither quarterback could really get going. Both finished four for 11. Javion Hawkins did have the best day on offense. He had 26 carries for 129 in the touchdown. Um, and just athletically, Clemson was just too much uh, for this team to handle. Uh, defensively, really kind of shut a very high-powered Louisville offense down. That shouldn't be much of a surprise, Tim. That's kind of what we expected to see. No, yeah, we expected it. And, you know, Louisville kept it semi-interesting for a half, which we thought they would do. Um, you know, when you have coaches punching you in the nose before the game, how can you not come out a little hyped? Um, but, you know, what? they look good. Pre-energy <laughs> workout drink. Right. Are their coaches I don't know. consuming? Something uh, explicit, I would believe. Um, something maybe the NCAA would frown upon because those guys, I mean, wow. it's it's like they had an IV drip feed of bang energy drink going four hours before the game. but Mixed with cocaine. They're ready. You those know, they show up are, ready. They're on another level. And I think it, Etienne may have been injured. It looked like he may have pulled up uh, lame towards the end of the game with a muscle injury. Um, I'm not sure if my eyes were deceiving me or not. I didn't check that, but I believe I saw that. Um, so maybe maybe that's something to watch moving forward. But again, Clemson is Clemson. Trevor Lawrence, however, is not Trevor Lawrence. Um, and the longer that continues, I think you can start to worry about him uh, to a small extent. You know, As far as the, the team as a whole, not a whole lot to worry about there. Playmakers are going to be playmakers, and you know Justin Ross just continues to look like an absolute beast. Um, you know what a prize he's going to be for whatever NFL team he goes to down the line, and uh, yeah, Clemson keeps rolling. Uh, you know who was not rolling, Tim? I do. Justin. NC State. <laughs> I do. Uh, not sure what exactly happened in this game. We had the ACC's top rushing defense going into Chestnut Hill. You know, we thought that was going to to spell good things, not because Boston College can't run the football, but because they were starting a new quarterback for the first time, and mm-hmm. uh, Dennis Grossell. But didn't stop stop the run. They could not. No. AJ Dillon ran for two hundred and twenty three yards and three touchdowns. David Bailey had two long touchdown runs, finished with one hundred eighty one total yards. NC State had only given up four hundred rushing yards all season and allowed Boston College to rush for over 429 yards in yeah. this game. mind-blowing. Unbelievable. 60 carries. They averaged 7.2 yards per carry. The quarterback situation is obviously getting pretty hairy uh, down there in Raleigh. You know, Dave Doran was obviously pretty frustrated after the game. Uh, really, not just with quarterback play, but in all facets. Um Bailey, Bailey Hoffman got benched. What, what are you, what are your thoughts on this one? I thought Devin Leary looked really good for NC State. Um, he did. I think his play calling is letting him down. I think NC State made a huge mistake with its with its offensive coordinators in hindsight because I think they did the right thing at the time. You have two great positional coaches that are great recruiters. You want to keep them on the staff, sure, offer them co-offensive coordinator positions to keep them happy. However, 
That, that experiment is failing miserably. The play calling is just awful for NC State. Um, you know, it, it's in a worse spot than it was even with Cornelson um, at Virginia Tech weeks ago. So we're talking about an offense that's lacking creativity, that's not able to move the ball, that's making it hard on its, uh, its quarterbacks, not taking advantage of two absolutely dynamite running backs. Um, and an offensive line that's underperforming, and you have a recipe for just offensive ineptitude. Now, I will say, when Devin Leary came in and changed the game on offense for NC State, Devin's got an NFL arm. Um, you know, mentally, there's a lot to work on there. Progressions, there's a lot to work on. He's not looking through his progressions at all. He's, he's a one-read quarterback right now, um, it looks like. But, hey, that's all stuff that can be fixed, and he does throw a ball that is just beautiful at times. So, you know, getting three touchdowns for NC State, given where they were at that point, was a huge deal for him. On defense, where do you start? Um, Boston College didn't even need a quarterback, Justin, uh, to win that game. He was just there to hand the ball off to Dylan or Bailey, and those two could not be stopped. And that was surprising because I can't tell you why that happened, given that I still think NC State's front seven are very good. I just I don't know if it was a complete scheming issue or what went wrong, but it's completely inexcusable on the defensive side of the ball. And NC State has now developed a habit over the course of four years of allowing career days on offense to various individual athletes, to teams as a whole. And somehow, Dave Doran has allowed Huxtable to skate past any kind of criticism. And I'm not sure I understand it because to me, NC State has talent on that team and has had talent on that team that should give them a top 25 to top 35 defense on a year-in, year-out basis, at least for the past three years, and they haven't been able to achieve it. And if you're Doran, you, you got you to gotta look at the mirror and say, you know, this starts and ends with me. I'm a defensive guy. I've got to take control of this, and I've got to figure out what I can do to fix this performance because this can never happen again. And people in Raleigh will not accept this or not accept that any longer because Dorn, unfortunately, doesn't have the signature wins to make you say, oh, you know, we can point to that and say we know we're in great hands. Dorn does have the program in a decent spot. He has done a wonderful job recruiting. And this is a rebuilding year. But you can't get beat that badly by a middle-of-the-road Boston College team. Yeah, it was... Yeah, I was I was just stunned watching the game. I mean, I I know they've been struggling offensively, but to see them uh, struggle the, the way they did defensively was uh, was pretty shocking. Yeah. So and and not making tackles, uh, the gap integrity was completely gone. I, it, it's it's hard to fathom how that happens, but um, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here because I don't know even what you do as a head coach in this situation. Um, but changes need to be made somewhere. Yeah, it's, uh, there, there has to be accountability somewhere down the line for this kind of performance. Uh, another poor performance, Tim, was Duke on the road at UVA. UVA wins 48-14, absolutely dominate the Blue Devils. And uh, the Dukies have been moving in the wrong direction uh, since the Virginia Tech game, which is ironic considering the direction Virginia Tech is moving since that game. So... Uh, they turned it over five times in this game. You know, Bryce Perkins ran for three touchdowns. Uh, Wayne Tuilapapa ran for two. And, uh, yeah, I mean, UVA made it look pretty easy. Um, game was close there for a quarter or so, and then they just kind of started to pull away. You know, Joe Reed had a big kickoff return for a ch- touchdown. Um, you know, the, his, the fifth of his career, which is a program record. You know, UVA, they, they struggled last week against Miami to, to score points, um, you know, past the 50. Mm-hmm. They had four drives of 34 yards or less um, where they got points. So that means the defense and or special teams was, was really setting them up well for scores, um, and they took advantage of that. Duke gained only 166 yards in the first three quarters. Um, before After that, it was pretty much just garbage time. And, uh, you know, Quentin Harris, just another pretty inefficient game for him. 13 for 26 for 88 yards and two picks. And if I told you going into this game, given what we had seen from Duke, that Virginia could lose Bryce Hall and have Quentin Harris go 13 for 26, 88 yards, 
would you have believed me? Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not super high on Quentin Harris to say that it I wouldn't have put it out of the realm of possibility. Well, let's say any Duke quarterback with a pulse, because if you're telling me in Cutcliffe's offense you're gonna have a quarterback go for eighty yards, eighty eight yards when UVA's number one cornerback is gone. Um and I believe they have another cornerback injured as well. Yeah, um, they were they're down to like a, a third stringer back there at that at that position. But the thing is, like how he does couldn't that even happen? get the ball out. You know, that the UVA defensive line is pretty strong. So I think that's and, part and their of it. pass rush in particular out of the three four has been lethal. Correct. And Duke has struggled to run the ball consistently outside of Harris too. So, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm. Uh, UVA offensively still a one-man band. You know, Perkins was responsible for 152 of the 153 yards in the first half. Wow. Uh, he threw for 111 yards and ran for 41. So those are first half numbers. You know, it's, again, like they're getting away with it right now. Duke obviously didn't play a great game. Um, but eventually UVA is going to have to find somebody else to carry the load. And we saw that against Miami. We saw it against Notre Dame. Um, they survived. They kind of cruise in this one. Um, you know, they're still, uh, they're still looking pretty good. They're sitting atop the coastal, but you know, still a little bit of a, a cause for concern right now with UVA. Absolutely. Absolutely. You'd, you'd like to see a little more action from other people on that, uh, on that team. Tula Papa had a bit of a breakout game compared to what we've seen from him. But again, uh, it is a one man show and we'll see how long and, and how much further they can keep it up. But that defense is uh, like concealer because it's higher. It's hiding a lot of flaws on that uh, on that team. So the shocker of the weekend, Tim. Georgia Tech, twenty eight, Miami twenty one. In overtime. Yeah. Um. I don't really have a whole lot to say about this one because I mean, what do you say? I mean. Yeah. Miami had no business losing this football game. They were a 17 or an 18-point favorite. Uh, they did lose DJ Dallas in the first quarter to a knee injury. Did not return. Not sure what the status is on that. They did miss three field goals within 34 yards. They clearly have an issue uh, with a field goal kicker. But still, at the end of the day, this is Georgia Tech we're talking about. Georgia Tech is a team in complete rebuild mode. A team that lost to the Citadel at home. Yeah. And and they're not in rebuild mode. They're in blow it up mode right now. The rebuild, I think will start next year, but they don't even have players to fit their scheme right now. We, we need to play because we're supposed to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, it's just the, the Manny Diaz era is off to a Willie Taggart type of start. And, uh, you know, if, if you think otherwise, you're just not paying attention. Like Miami, they're in a lot of close games. They're just not winning them. Yeah. And uh, that's typically a sign of a team that is not coached very well. Not always, but the amount of talent that Miami has on this football team and the level of play that, you know, we're seeing consistently is, is pretty, pretty poor. And, you know, Jeff Thomas, he was suspended for the game. He violated team rules. Nobody's really sure, you know, what happened. It was pretty close to the vest. But, you know, you you had a game earlier in the year with Miami where they were 31-point favorite against Central Michigan, and they won by five. Right. They were 14-point favorite against Virginia Tech, and they lost. They were an 18-point favorite on Saturday, and they lost to Georgia Tech. They're off to their worst start. Since 1997, that's probably that's probably a wrong statistic. So just ignore that one. Um, they're three and four. Their worst start since 1974. Let me put it that way. Not 1997. This is a team that is in pretty big danger of missing a bowl. Um, can they turn it around? Sure. You know, we saw Jaron Williams play a little bit. I don't know, you know, if he was fully ready to go or not. You know, Manny Diaz said if he was healthy, he was going to play. Um, but Nikosi Perry was the guy that got the nod. Tate Martell doesn't appear to exist. So I don't know what Miami's got going on right now. But right now, it's uh, it's kind of a train wreck. Yeah, it is. Um, 
you know, I hate to be the I told you so guy, but going into this, you know, last week, to me, it felt like a letdown game was coming. And it certainly came. Um, you know, when you have a team that looks poorly coached and you run into an issue where they come from, you know, a big win, poorly coached teams can't handle a big win. Um, and the worst thing a poorly coached team can have after a big win is a subpar opponent that has a lot to play for. And Georgia Tech has a team that's full of pride, um, that has a coach that has them scrapping, even though they are not as talented as the teams they are playing. They are one of the hardest teams as far as effort goes. And in effort, they bring it every single game. And so you knew going in that if they could just hang around with Miami, there, there might be something there for them. And it was, it was cool to see them get that first win. Um, for a program that badly needed it, for a fan base that really, really needed it, um, it was it was cool to see, and, and and what a way to do it too, beating Miami at Miami. So, um, hats off to Jeff Collins, hats off to the program, and and you know if you're a Miami fan, you you have to be wondering at this point, you know, how much lower can this thing go? Because I mean, this should be rock bottom. It should be rock bottom. I feel like it could definitely go lower, uh, based off you know, what we're seeing this year on the field. Um, but yeah, not, not the season that we were expecting out of Miami. I mean, this is a team that a lot of people thought was going to win the coastal with ease. And, uh, now you've got a already kind of a disengaged fan base, even more disengaged. Um, you've got people that are unhappy with Manny Diaz. The, the luster of that hire is long gone. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bad situation right now to be, uh, to be in the Miami football program. Yeah, he had a hell of an offseason coming into this, and uh, so far the results haven't been there. So, um, you know, you're kind of, I think you have to obviously give Manny time, but there is a scenario in which these results keep coming in and the way that they're coming in where he could be sent packing uh, at the end of the season. So, fun stuff. So, Wake Forest, Florida State, last game of the week in the ACC. Demon Deacons hold off the Seminoles 22 to 20. Interesting game, Tim, because you know Jamie Newman was a scratch. Sam Hartman got the start, played pretty well. Uh, Wake Forest had season uh, season lows in yards, uh, yards and points in this game, but they still managed to win, which is saying a lot. And the thing is, the the Florida State defense played pretty well in this game. Uh, they kept Wake Forest out of the end zone on 13 out of 14 possessions, and there was five times Wake Forest was inside the 10-yard line, and they had to kick a field goal. So that was a pretty nice job there by the Florida State defense. You know, the offense, a little bit sloppy. You know, we didn't see uh, Alex Hornibrook in this game. It was all James Blackman. Uh, So, you know, we've been playing that little quarterback roulette with Florida State, so it seems like they're probably turning back to James Blackman at this time. Cam Akers... Ran pretty well, um, had a big day on the ground, but again, Florida State just can't seem to get over the hump of of winning games that they have a chance to win. And you know, this is a good Wake Forest team. You know, don't get me wrong, but defensively, Wake Forest has been really bad, and Florida State struggled to take advantage of that on offense. Yeah, they did, and um, you know, player of the game for me for Wake Forest, Nick Skiba. Uh, making all those field goals, keeping Wake Forest in it. And, um, you know, they were all fairly short field goals, so nothing too hard for him. He's a great field goal kicker, but just Florida State continues to amaze me at their ability to find a loss in so many of these games in which their statistics all look pretty good and they got a defense that's playing pretty good. And, uh, you know, Tiger keeps bringing in the L's. So yet another coach whose hot seat continually gets hotter and hotter and hotter um, I, I don't think this is going to end too well for Taggart, but again, a big win for Wake Forest. Uh, getting that win over FSU still has a luster about it and, you know, um, a good bounce back for them. So on we go, and, and this season continues to get wackier and wackier for a lot of teams and worse and worse uh, for the teams in Florida. Florida State and Miami both under five hundred, heading into the last full week of October. Hmm. Pretty crazy. Pretty did, wild. Did not think we would be saying that uh, pretty much ever when both of these teams were in the ACC. So that is our show for today. Tim, any final words from you? 
<laughs> no, I mean, no final words for me. Uh, you know, try to temper expectations. Um, UNC game was a huge win. Be excited that that momentum was back, that the swagger was back, that Lane was looking good. Um, but there were still some red flags from the coaching staff um, and still some concerns on that defense moving forward. Not sure still where the Hokies stand, but we're in a much better place than we were after that Duke loss. Other than that, the ACC Coastal just continues to be a crapshoot. No one knows what is going to happen in the ACC Coastal, and I love the chaos. I love it. So bring it on. More football for us, man, and I know you and I are going to enjoy talking about it. Yeah, it definitely makes it interesting from week to week, and uh, you know, nice timing on the bye for Virginia Tech. You know, for us... We've got a big show coming up uh, later this week. We've got a special guest coming on, uh, a former Virginia Tech football player, maybe a previous guest. You'll have to tune in to find out. Uh, but we're going to kind of break down what uh, what we've been seeing here from his standpoint um, throughout this season and uh, and go from there. So be sure to tune in for that one. Uh, so we'll have a uh, exciting show for Virginia Tech. Uh, stakeholders even in the buy so that's what we're uh, that's what we're in the business of doing here at chowder and grits so once again we are chowder and grits the podcast for acc and Hokies football you can find our podcast pretty much everywhere you know apple Podcasts, spotify those seem to be the top two um you type in chowder and grits on google you'll find us go to chowderandgrits.com you can like us on twitter facebook you can find us just type in chowder and grits and you will see our smiling faces or our really cool maroon and orange logo very original tim why don't you tell these people what they can do for us leave those reviews share our content and tell your friends those are three things you can do for us to make our time even better than it is already and we're loving it as we speak so do what you can as far as that goes again continue the engagement on twitter you guys are awesome as far as that goes um, so no real need for improvement there. Just keep it up. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the biggest thing I think is word of mouth. You know, not everybody has Twitter and Facebook and a lot of these guys like to listen to podcasts too. So, uh, let them know, you know, some guys who like to talk Hokies football and, uh, you know, we'd love to have them listen in. Other than that, as usual, uh, Justin, I appreciate you guys swinging by and, and dropping in to listen to this recap. A uh, big win for the Hokies this week and, and long may these wins continue. As always, I'll cut the show with a go Hokies, go ACC, and stick it in, stick it in, stick it in. See you guys later.